All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody this morning again. Let's take our Bible to look at the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. It was a gift. It was a gift from uh, Mrs. Stewart's friend. She's talking about my tie. It's very, I know it's very spring, springy, but I thought to myself, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. So, Revelation chapter number one, if you would turn there. Again, thank you all for being here this morning. And uh, today... Lord willing, man, we have the whole, all of Greenville County coming in at once. Man. We, uh, Lord willing, I hope to conclude our study on the second coming of Christ uh, this morning. I want to look at some verses in Revelation. Of course, Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final book of the Bible, is... Uh, kind of like the when you read it, even as you read it, the beginning of the book of Revelation, which is, you might say, the beginning of the end, and then the end of the book of Revelation, which is the final, <clears throat> the final chapter, the final say, the final words of Scripture, you get the sense as you read it that this is God's parting words before the Lord returns. Uh, this is his, the last book of the Bible that was written um, in time. And it was the, it's the final words we have by the apostle who is the oldest one and who was the, the last surviving apostle. And so uh, I look at that as kind of, uh, you know, when you think of the, the parting words of Christ himself, that w- that's the Great Commission, right? Go and preach the gospel to every creature. And then you have the final words of the Lord and really of the apostles uh, in Revelation that kind of set the stage and give us an idea of what, what should be kind of our, and what I hope to cover today is what should be our, where, where should our heart be, you know, in this intervening time in which we live. We live in this time right now. From the time the Lord went to heaven until the time that the Lord returns. Where should our heart be? And I feel like that's what the book of Revelation kind of captures. And so why don't we look at that today. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 1. We'll look at chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 22 to begin. And then we'll look at some in 2 Peter and some other verses. Revelation, uh, let's pray together and then we'll read Revelation 1 verse 1. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of the book of Revelation. Thank you for the promise of your coming. Lord, we do desire to see you and to be like you. I pray, Father, that you would bless this uh, lesson, this final lesson in the coming of the Lord. But more than the lesson, I ask that the truths that we have covered would eternally and permanently affect our, our lives, our heart, our uh, motives, our direction. And Lord, that I pray that you would use these things uh, in the hearts of your people and in the hearts of those that might not be believers. Uh, to accomplish your will because we know the truth has power. The truth of your word has power. 
And so we just commit this time to you. We ask your blessing upon it. We ask for your spirit to truly meet with us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation 1, verse 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must... What's the next word say? Shortly come to pass. How long ago was this written from a human perspective? Book of Revelation written around what? 8090, between 8090 and 8800. So how long has that been? A long time. Right? 1900 and 1900 years, thereabouts. But yet, the first, the opening verse of, the, of this book, written 1900 years ago, says that the things that are written in it will come to pass shortly. There, I think there's a lesson in that. It says, uh, And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein for what? The time is at hand. What does that mean, at hand? That means it is imminent, right? It's, it's upon us, you know, just like that. The time is at hand. Now, if you would look at Revelation chapter 3, this is the letter to the church of Philadelphia, which we covered just a few weeks ago. And the Lord says something here that he'll repeat later in the book of Revelation. We'll read in a minute. He says in verse 11, verse 10, just to kind of pick up on the context, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. The Lord himself says, and again, this is, this is after his ascension, right? The Lord's already in heaven, and this is a vision that God is giving to John, and John is merely testifying to what he heard and saw. This wasn't a dream, you know, like we think of our dreams as kind of these vague kind of things that, you know, some of which we remember usually uh, very unusual things mixed together that don't really go together. But a vi this vision of John was not that. This was a divine revelation. That's why it's called revelation, right? And in this, the Lord Jesus speaks to John and in the process of that, he says, speaking from the first person, Behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. Now again, just like in chapter 1, verse 1, you think of the Lord saying, I come quickly. You know, a lot of times my, uh, during the week, my wife will write me and she'll be asking me if I'm coming home. And I'll say, oh, I'm coming. I'm leaving. I'm leaving soon. But soon is relative. Is it not? Soon is relative. And my soon and her soon are often different. And, uh, but anyhow, it's this, it's this uh, statement where the Lord says, I come quickly. Okay, let's look at the last chapter of Revelation, if you would. Verse number 6. All right, 
It's important to note the time. It's important to note the time. Because in chapter 22, John has already been given a, 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 a vision, a kind of a, a tour of heaven, which is the new Jerusalem, okay? Now, a lot of people think of heaven, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding, and, and, and it's, it's honest misunderstanding about heaven, but really, when, when, when a person dies, we, as a believer, they do go to heaven because that's where God is. They, God dwells in heaven. But what we read in Revelation is actually a reference to the new Jerusalem, right? Because there is also an earth, a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, you might say there's a, a new universe, right, where there is no sin. There's earth. There's heaven. Of course, there's no sun because the, the Lord is the light, but... Then you have this Jerusalem, this city where God's people dwell. And that's what's actually being described. We call it heaven, but it's actually what is being described as New Jerusalem. Um, and in this description, all of this has already been described to John. And in verse 7, or verse 6, it says, And he said unto me, Now this is not Jesus speaking, this is the angel that was, that was taking John on his tour. He says, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly, come, shortly be done. Notice that word shortly again. Behold. Now, if your Bible is red letter, mine is blue letter, which is a new feature. But anyhow, you'll notice that this, this should be in red letters, which is the Lord is speaking at this verse. Verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. So here's John wanting to worship an angel. Now, now just as a side note, pay attention. John, just out of the, the enormity maybe of the moment, John begins to fall down before this angel. And then verse 9 says, and, and uh, then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. That's interesting. Because we know religions of the world, they worship anything and everything. I mean, not only created things, but there's religions in the world where men and women, human beings are venerated, where angels, like Michael the archangel, is venerated. But as you can see in the scripture, that was never permitted by the angel himself. What would you do if someone... If someone through some crazy set of events, bowed down to you and wanted to give you veneration that was due to God. Would you allow them to do that? Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, see, that's what we find in the Scripture. So what does that say about, about this, this kind of veneration and worship that people give to things that are not God? You see? Um, and then it says, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. That's good. And he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time, again, the time is at hand. 1900 years ago, John says to the angel, the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, this is Jesus speaking now, I come quickly. 
and my reward is with me. To give every to, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So what I want to do to, today is I want to look at this, this sentence, I come quickly. I come quickly. You think of all the things that we've studied. You think of all the signs we've looked at, all the conditions that must be fulfilled. We think of all the judgments that the Lord has promised. And of course, as we've studied before, and especially in Acts chapter 1, the question is, is always raised, when, when, when? When will these things happen? It was a natural question the apostles asked. It's a natural question that's asked to this day. People have made fortunes based upon that question, writing books and recording videos and whatever they do to, uh, that, are ba- that, that are based on the question, when is Jesus coming? When is Jesus coming? You know, the Lord never gives us that answer. But in place of that answer, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. So he tells us plainly, I'm not telling you when I'm coming. But in place of that answer, he tells us quickly, quickly. Now, let me explain to you what we mean by quickly, because I'm going to, I'm going to read something to you that's going to, because I, some things that are, that are wrong, right? Because sometimes people that are uh, commenta- commentators on the Bible that write commentaries, very smart people, much smarter than I will be, make statements that are just stupid. <laughs> they make dumb statements because they make statements in an effort to explain something that they can't explain. And one of the, one of the primary questions that that commentators struggle with and can't explain is how do you reconcile Jesus saying 1900 years ago in AD around AD 90 how do how do you reconcile Jesus saying these things must shortly come to pass the time is at hand i come quickly and yet it's been 9 to 2000 years and nothing has happened how do you reconcile those two things and they they have to perform sort of gymnastics to reconcile those things. And it's sad. So some, one thing that people say about this word quickly is they'll say, well, this is actually a reference to the speed at which Jesus comes. In other words, not, not as in, not, it doesn't mean Jesus will come uh, uh, soon, but it means Jesus will come suddenly. Now, we know that's true. That is a reference, you know, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We know that he's described as coming in the second coming as a thief in the night. In other words, at a time where many will be unprepared, right? But that's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about. We'll see that in just a minute. Uh, But then others, they try to explain this huge gap of time after Jesus said it'll be quick, it would be quickly, Jesus would come quickly, Others will say, well, that's actually talking about the commencement of the events in Revelation. Not the fulfillment, but the commencement. In other words, the first event that's mentioned will be soon. Well, that's dumb too, because I come quickly is a statement that's mentioned at the very end of Revelation, right? After everything's already been done. You know, listen. Honestly, I think that, I think that what the Lord is conveying to us is something that those commentators, not all of them are like that, but the ones I've, I read, 
I just kind of shake my head because I think they're completely missing the point. They're completely missing the, the point of the statement. I come quickly. The first thing I want us to see about that sentence, I only have two things, but we want, I want to look at some verses together. The first thing I want you to see is, if you would turn to John 14... Look at verse 1. First thing I want you to see when Jesus said, I come quickly, behold, I come quickly, is what is this. And this kind of summarizes all that we've been studying. This question. It is the fact of the Lord's coming. It is the fact of the Lord's coming. So, It is a scriptural fact that Jesus is coming. And that is something we need to firmly establish. When the Lord says, behold, I come quickly, you look at that phrase, I come. I come. He is coming. He is coming. And in John 14, verse 1, he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's what I want you to note right here. I will come again. I will come again. So there is a fact of the Lord's coming. We just need to, I know that's simple. That's kind of been the the foundation of everything we've studied over the past six months. But it is a foundation that we need to, we need to let deeply sink into to the way we think and the way in our faith. Jesus is coming. He said in John 14, I will come again. Now, let's look at that a little bit further. This truth is the keystone to all future events. All future events pivot around that fact. That Jesus will return personally, and physically, just as he departed. He departed from the Mount of Olives personally and physically, and he will also return personally and physically. Listen, his return is not spiritual. His return is not allegorical. It's not symbolic. His return is a real event, yet future. So that absolutely that absolutely excludes ideas like amillennialism, which teach that Jesus, his return is a spiritual return, or any other kind of spiritualizing of the return of Christ, like such as, such as believed by the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cult groups that teach that Jesus' coming is actually a spiritual coming. It's a secret coming. It is important that we get into our mind that he is coming. Everything that we see around us, this world that is around us in which we live, will not continue as it is forever. It has a terminus, an end point. Jesus is coming. You know what? We live as Christians, we live upon the Lord's promise of His coming. You know, and we'll look at this in a minute. 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about the scoffers who say, where's the promise of His coming? You know what? They don't believe He's coming. 
You know what? As a result of their unbelief in his coming, they live a certain way. Because they figure, he's not coming. I don't have anything to worry about. So I will give myself over to my lusts because there's, there's no, Jesus is not coming. I have no retribution. There is no judgment. Everything as it has always been, to my knowledge, will always continue to be my knowledge. Listen, this is, listen. How many of you have ever heard the term uniformitarianism? What does it mean? Somebody help me. Uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism is the bedrock of evolution. And it is the idea that from the beginning of whatever time that people say time exists, up to our time and into the future, time and all the laws of nature and everything like that is uniform and has never changed at all in the slightest degree all throughout the history of the universe. Right? That's actually the bedrock of evolution. The idea that nothing's ever been different than now and nothing shall be ever different than now. And the coming of Christ, the doctrine of the coming of Christ, totally turns that upside down. The scoffers believe that, and that's why they throw themselves at their lusts. Nothing will ever be any different. But for us, we live upon the promise of the Lord's coming. So, if their unbelief in the Lord's coming determines how they live, so our belief and faith in His coming will also determine how we live. Like Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. So attached to the coming of Christ is the knowledge that we will stand before Him and He will reward us according to our works. That knowledge affects the way we live. It affects our life now. We know that with this knowledge, we know that this world will not continue forever as it is now, and we know that we will meet Jesus, and our works and our faithfulness will be examined by Him. So that's the first thing I want you to see, the fact of the Lord's coming. When he says, I come quickly, part of that is I come, personally, physically. I just want to reiterate that, just so we all know. The Lord might return before you leave this world. And I know immediately is when we think about that, when the thoughts come, what about all the other people who thought that? Well, that's a valid question. That's a valid question. And that goes back to our second this goes back to our second point we want to look at, which is when Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, he's saying that the Lord's coming is imminent. Imminent. That means it can happen at any time. And here's what I want you to understand. This is where the commentators, I think, went off, where they kind of went off the rails. In an effort to explain why he hasn't come in 2,000 years, I believe that they missed why he said his coming would be quick, his, his coming would, he said, I will come quickly, I come quickly. You see that the Lord's coming has been imminent for 2,000 years. The Lord's coming has been imminent for 2,000 years, and the Lord designed it that way. He wanted his people to understand and live by the principle that his coming could be at any time. He wants you to live and me to live with the knowledge that His coming could be at any time. 
Now, and, and I just want you to understand, we're going to see in a minute, this is how the coming of the Lord is presented in Scripture. Let's look at a few verses that deal with this. I'll try to go in order, but I just want you to, actually, can I, can I kind of farm these out to people to read? All right, Joshua, can you read 1 Corinthians 7.29? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to farm these out to different people. Brother Robbie, can you read, Josh, get 1 Corinthians 7.29 and 10.11, uh, okay? Uh, Brother Robbie, can you read um, Romans 13, 11, and 12? Pastor Stewart, can you get Hebrews 1, 2, and 10, 37? Who else I got? Brother Ari, can you get James 5, 8? Let's see, who else can I call on? Joseph, do you think you can do one? 1 Peter 4, 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. And I will do one last in 1 John chapter 2. Now, I'm going to just read these, and I'm going to point out a few things, and we'll move on, okay? What you're going to read are a, a, a group, several different verses from different parts of the New Testament, Paul's epistles, Peter's epistle, uh, James' epistle, he, the book of Hebrews, all these different places where, where this subject comes up. But I, what I'm trying to get you to understand and see is how the coming of the Lord is characterized. How it is characterized. Okay, who was first? Who's got 1 Corinthians? Josh, read 7, 29, and 10, 11, please. Read it nice and loud. The time is short. All right? 10, 11. Now all of these things happen unto them for examples. They are written for our admonition. Admonition. Notice what it says. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Upon whom? Upon the church. He says the ends of the world are come upon us. Now, that's written 2,000 years ago, right? But he says, the ends of the world are come upon you. You know what that tells us? The coming of the Lord, the end of the world, as we've, we've studied, is, was imminent to them. Paul told them it was imminent, okay? Who's next? Uh, who's got Romans, okay? 13, 11, and 12. See that? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. How is the Lord characterizing His return? Is it distant or is it imminent? It's imminent. Okay? Look at who's got, um, who's got James 5.8. Be ye also patient, establishing yourselves in the fear of the Lord. 
Again, the coming of the Lord is not ever described in the Bible as something distant. It's described as right around the corner, at hand, shortly, quickly, right? Pastor Stewart, can you read one, Hebrews 1, 2 and 10, 37? Notice that in Hebrews chapter 1, he says Hebrews was written in these last days. So it is the last days then. How much more now? Right? And then Hebrews 10.37, he says, yet a little while and Jesus will come. <laughs> well, that's been a long little while, right? That, but listen, the language is imminent. Now, the scoffer hears that kind of language and they say, well, he's not coming. The Christian hears that language and says, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. All right, let's look at who's, who's next. 1 Peter 4, 7. Is that Joseph? The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch over prayer. The end of all things is at hand. That sounds pretty imminent to me, doesn't it? And then last is 1 John 2, 8. Did I skip anybody? I just want to make sure I didn't skip anybody. 1 John 2, 18 says this. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So from the time that the Lord went back to heaven, and these epistles were written to the church of God, the church of God has been sitting on the edge of its seat, expecting the Lord to return any time. You know what? That's the way he wants you and me to live. Well, he hasn't come yet. All right, let's look at 2 Peter. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. The text says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. This is the same question I posed. The Lord's imminent return has been preached many, many generations now. Jesus could come at any time. They preached it in the first century. They preached it in the fifth century. They preached it in the tenth century. In the fifteenth century. And they preach it, we preach it now in the 21st century. You know what? It was true in every century. Now we can look back on that. We can say, well, look, obviously he wasn't coming imminently. No, 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 no. That's, what, that's, what, that's a mistake. That's what a scoffer says. He says this. And in 2 Peter 3, 
the Lord gives an explanation for this kind of perceived discrepancy. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8. Now here's the crux. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Here's what we keep in mind. When the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to return soon, soon is a relative term. Time is a relative concept. You, you see, and, and I'm sure those of you that, have, that, that are elder than I am will testify that as you get older, time begins to, seems to move faster than it did before. And when you're young, you know, and you want to get married, time just drags and drags and drags, right? But as you get older, time begins to, it seems like it compresses. The reality is, this hasn't changed at all. Our perception of it changes. Our perception of it changes. Where here you have the Lord who is totally outside of time. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He, he is the one that inhabiteth etern, eternity, as Isaiah says, right? Time means nothing to him. Time means nothing. It's kind of like if you compare it to an older person who's lived many years, and you tell them they have to wait six months. Now, assuming they have good health and they know they'll live that long, <laughs> you know, you, you think, well, wait six months. An older person thinks, okay. A younger person thinks, you know, it's never going to happen because they've lived more and they have more experience and have seen the effects of time and those kinds of things. Well, the Lord is totally outside of that. So when the Lord says his coming is quick, his coming, he, he, he said, I come quickly. It's not as it, as it, as it feels or as man, mankind senses it, but as he senses it. And the truth is, and this is one thing that's a great comfort to me. You know, one of these days when all this is over and we're in heaven, all of this will be just a blink. All the good, all the bad, everything in our lives will be just a flash. Because in the, in the perspective of the Lord's time, how that one day is with Him is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, it's nothing, it's a flash. It's just a flash in the pan and it's over. And so we'll look back on it and we'll think, the Lord said He would come, and He came quickly. Verse 9, we're reminded, as we covered last week, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's irony there. Who loves irony? Irony is the most blessed thing God created, I think. <laughs> the very reason the scoffers scoff because Jesus has not come all these years. That very reason is caused by his long-suffering to those people. And the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet, that fact itself 
teaches us and is a living example, a living demonstration of God's great patience. So the longer this this thing drags on before the Lord comes, the greater demonstration we have of God's enormous patience and long-suffering. Yeah, he's coming, yeah. Yeah. So we understand why that he is, you could say, tarried is coming. But to conclude our study, I have two things I want to do. First of all, I want to look at Revelation chapter 22 again. Josh, can you help me? Come up here. And Anna, can you go to the piano? Chapter 22, verse 20. Pass these out. After the conclusion of everything, everything's been discussed, the good and the bad, the judgments, the glory, heaven, everything's done. And one final time, the Lord says in verse 20, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. There you go. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know what the final statement is concerning the coming of Christ? You know what it is? The Lord says, I come quickly. And the answer of the heart of the the Christian is a prayer. Lord, even though there's so much bad associated with your coming, so much judgment, please come. And you know what? That should be our heart toward the coming of Christ. It should not be just intellectual knowledge. It should be a heart that cries out to God in prayer and answers that statement. I come quickly. It says, please, please do come even now. So what I want to do is I want us to sing this song together. Josh and Eric have sung it. It is a prayer. So I'm going to have Josh and my wife come up here because I'm not a good singer. And I'm going to have... All of us sing together, but I'm having it up here so that you guys can have some confidence because you hear somebody singing it besides me. I just want to sing this together. Listen to these words. This is a prayer that the Lord would come. All right, and that kind of concludes our, the whole purpose for us having this, uh, this study. We're going to sing all four. Three, two, 